following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. So boys and girls, when our children were your ages, in the spring, we would have spring egg hunts. Now they weren't Easter egg hunts, they were spring egg hunts. But what we would do is we would hide these eggs around the yard and the children would go out to find them. Now, what was the purpose of hiding the eggs? That they might be found. If that was not the purpose, then there would be no sense in hiding them. It's, it's the way a squirrel hides a nut or a dog hides a bone. It's there to be discovered later. And that really is what our Savior is talking about here in our text this morning, verses 21 to 25. That God has hidden things in his word that they might then be revealed to his faithful disciples. Matthew 13 is a collection of kingdom parables. Uh, showing how the kingdom of God is going to come and advance both in the hearts of individuals as well as in the world. And he begins with what he calls the key to all the parables, a parable that we call the parable of the sower, but really it's the parable of the soils. And the soils are four types of gospel hearers. There's the, the pathway hearer who cares nothing for the word of God, it flies over his head, he daydreams under its preaching, and Satan snatches away the fruit. The temporary here is the one that the seed falls in some topsoil over a, a shelf of rock, and because of that rock, it's, it's hotter, the seed germinates very quickly, it grows up quicker than the other seed. But then as soon as uh, the sunshine of persecution and, and difficulty beats upon it, it cannot sink into the rich soil of Christ, it withers and dies. A third type of soil is the weedy soil, and any of you who have gardened or farmed or at flower beds know that weed seeds always grow faster than the seeds you intend to grow. And so eventually the weeds grow up and choke out the good plant and that soil is the soil, the heart, that is easily distracted by the things of the world. So three types of hearers, three types of hearts, the hard heart that Satan holds in bondage, the superficial ill-prepared heart that quickly dies away, a worldly heart, but then the fourth soil is the good heart, a heart that's been plowed and is cultivated and it bears a remarkable fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, uh, the fruit of godliness and good works. He uh, instructs his people though, as he teaches this, that he's only gonna teach in parables. And so often when we think about parables, we think that God gave them first to illumine the truth, but no, we read here in verse 10 that they were actually given so that those outside might not come to saving faith. The parable first hid the truth, but that creates this conflict for us, this paradox that Christ is now going to address in our text, where he shows us that things that are hidden are hidden only to be discovered, like the the spring eggs. So I want to show you that uh, in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, we must seek the truth, uh, diligently seek the truth of God in his word, particularly read and preached. 
in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, diligently to seek the truth of God's word. And we'll look at three things. There's a, a principle stated here. There is a precept commanded, and there is a promise to encourage us. Well, the principle uh, is in this little, it's, it's not really a parable, this uh, common sense illustration in verses 21 and 22. He was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. So here Jesus is dealing with this paradox. Um, with a very common sense thing, you don't light a candle, you don't turn on a light switch for any other purpose, do you? But to illumine the room, the place where you are. So Jesus is the light of the world. He's come into the world to shed his light. We're told that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So why then does Jesus speak in these parables? Why is Jesus hiding the word, the light, from his people? And he says that this is the mystery of Scripture. The mystery of Scripture. For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, or kept secret, but that it would come to light. The mystery of Scripture, Paul addresses it in Romans chapter 16. At the end of that chapter, verse 25, to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all nations, leading to the obedience of faith. Now, Paul often talks about the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of the Gentiles coming into the church. And by mystery, what Paul means is that in the Old Covenant, these truths were revealed in kind of a, a shadowy form. There was, there was a great mist around them as God planted the seed, so to speak, to bring it forth later uh, and it was in God's purpose that that light was also hidden from the nations, as it was simply, at this point, primarily given to his people in the Old Covenant Church. But in the fullness of time, when Christ came into the world, God then caused the light of the mystery to be opened through the revelation of the apostles. And those things that were obscure and dark, hidden, were only hidden temporarily that they might in God's time come to a fullness of light. They're only kept from the nations temporarily, but that after the uh, ascent of Christ, they might be made known unto the ends of the earth. Well, this mystery of Scripture is also how God operates uh, in our lives now. And so those who are in sin and deliberately in sin God spoke in parables in order to hide the truth from them. Those in whom the Spirit was at work would then, so to speak, tug on Jesus' sleeve, and as they do after he gives this parable of the soils, please explain this to us. So we see at the end of this discussion, 
in verse 26, the kingdom of God is like a man uh, who casts seed upon the soil. No, I don't want that. Um, verse 33, with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them. So far as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. So what's going on here is that the parable first makes it difficult for any who have really no spiritual concern to understand. Plus, you have to have the Holy Spirit in order to be illumined and understand. But those in whom the Spirit is at work, they then seek the truth. The very parable then that hid the truth becomes now the way of making it um, rememberable, always. It then becomes a glorious illustration of light. And so we affirm in this what we refer to as the perspicuity of Scripture. And that is in our confession, 1-7. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known and believed and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and open in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned and a due use of ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. So the obscurity you see is not in the scriptures. The obscurity is in the heart, the mind of the hearer. And that is the mystery of scripture. It's not known by all. It is a supernatural book and it cannot be known by those except in whom the Lord is at work. Now, if any of you here today came to Christ later in life, perhaps you remember what it was like suddenly the Bible made sense. Before that, it was, it was an obscure book. It was like an advanced physics book or, or something like that. And, and, and the moment you were converted, you, you had a hunger for the Scripture, but also you began to read the Scriptures with profit. That is what Christ is showing us here, that when the Spirit works, the eyes are opened, and the mysteries, the glorious mysteries of the Gospel increasingly become known to us. Now, the counter of that is true as well. I don't think in this case of any of you here today, but if the Bible remains to you a closed book, that means that you're not regenerate. Because the light that has been given is secret but temporarily. Once you have eyes to see, you will understand it. That's also an encouragement then to us. We all come to those very naughty passages of Scripture, and we scratch our heads, and we prayerfully uh, pull on the knots, and we look up other Scripture, and we're praying. But uh, it's there to be made known as we make our progress in faith. Now, this leads us to the precepts. So we've seen the principle, the mystery of Scripture, the precepts, the commandment of the Lord. And that is in the... Um, Verse 23 in the first part of 24, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. Now, the first commandment he gave right at the end of the parable in verse 9, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a commandment that calls us to attentiveness. Perhaps you remember uh, from uh, uh, Pastor Groff's sermons on the letters to the churches. This was a refrain. Uh, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
That is a call to diligence and care in how we approach the scriptures. Added to that is a call for discernment in what we do in pursuing the truth of scriptures. And so he says then in the first part of the next verse, take care what you listen to. Luke adds to that, take care how you listen. Because the what you listen to has to do with having ears to hear. We don't follow after what Paul calls the vain myths and, and speculations and, and things that are not fruitful unto godliness. We follow not after the traditions of men. No, we are seeking the Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture. That's part of the mystery. It's Christ who's speaking, and we are to hear his voice in Scripture. And we're to do it with great diligence and earnestness. We are to use all the proper means that he gives to us as we exercise that diligence and that urgency. And we are not to despair of failing to grow in our grasp of the truth. But what we see here, and I summarize like this, you must search the scriptures as if it all depended upon you. Now the promise will show, knowing that it all depends upon God. But that's the thrust that we have here. You see, these hearts have to do with your attitude about how you listen to the word of God. So what makes the good soil hearer a good soil hearer? This is not talking primarily about the work of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. No, this is talking about a soil, a heart, a hearer who has rightly prepared himself, herself, to understand, to hear the voice of Christ in Scripture, what God said to the prophet Hosea, uh, sow to righteousness that you might reap loyalty, cut up, make furrows in your heart, convert yourselves, even if you know that God converts you, but you are responsible as you sit here today for your heart and how you listen to and respond to the word of God. You children, when the Bible is read in family worship, or when your parents are teaching you the Bible, you go to Sunday school, you are responsible to plow up your heart, to prepare it, to plead with God, to give you a heart that will understand and respond properly. And that's how we are to approach the preaching of God's word. We are to have cultivated our hearts before we come here, having prayed not only for the preparation of the sermon and unction, but for ourselves, the Spirit will be at work in us as we sit under the preaching of the Word of God. We approach the Scriptures with prepared hearts. Now, this includes a number of things. Let me just mention a few. The first is we must approach the Scriptures always in the reading and preaching, uh, studying with humility. That it's God's Word, and we cannot, by our own minds, understand it. We've already seen that. And so we're approaching it asking the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to illumine us. As we begin each uh, scripture reading and sermon with this prayer of illumination, that's always how we are to approach scripture, in this humble dependence upon God. We, we must also approach scripture with a commitment to obey, to believe and obey whatever it is that God says in the word, not to have up our guards, not to prefer our own traditions over against scripture. Remember what the Lord said to the Jews, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that's from the one and only God? 
If you're seeking your own glory, if you're not seeking to obey that which he tells you in Scripture, to believe it, to act on it, as we were reminded in Matthew chapter 7, and the dangers of acting on it in Jeremiah chapter 25, then our hearts are not prepared. We also are to use the means as we study Scripture. Uh, the question on perspicuity or the statement about perspicuity from the confession of faith, the clarity of Scripture, that these truths are clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other, that not only the learned but the unlearned in the due use of ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. We pray, and then we use the means that God has given to us. The, the Bible study tools. We went over some of those Bible study tools in, in the discipleship book. But uh, comparing Scripture with Scripture, because Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. That's why cross-references are so useful. To use a, a good commentary. I recommend that you have in your home Matthew Henry. And as you read Scripture, that you then consult uh, Matthew Henry about particularly the things that uh, you don't seem to grasp uh, as well. And then, of course, use your uh, confessional standards as, again, the analogy of faith, that you not interpret Scripture contrary to what we, is the received faith of the church, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you make prayerful, humble use of these means with a desire to know God, commune with him, and obey him. And that is how you are going to search the Scriptures with diligence. That's hard work. It's the hardest work there is uh, on the face of the earth. That's why our Savior adds now to his principle and precept, the promise of the Spirit. So the second half of verse 24, after he says, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured. I like the, the best English reflects the Greek. With what measure you measure, it shall be measured to you again. You can remember that, can't you? What measure you measure, it be measured to you again. And more will be given you besides. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has should be taken away from him. So this is that principle I mentioned that Christ uses with respect to judging others, how you want to be judged yourself, respect to stewardship. But now he applies this to this uh, commandment that we're to take care how and what we listen to in the Word of God. We are to search the Scriptures diligently. We're to sit under the Scriptures with great care and humility and patience. And he says that God blesses means. That's what the first part means. With what measure you measure, it shall be measured to you. And this is true in all of life, isn't it? Uh, you basically will have prosperity and success according to your investment. The more you put into a project, the more you put into a relationship, the more you put into anything, you're going to reap then. That's surely true with rearing our children. Uh, we have no promise in Scripture that every one of our covenant children reared faithfully will be converted, but we can surely be assured that if we neglect the nurture of our covenant children, uh, they probably will not be converted. God blesses means. You can take this statement of the Savior, you can take it to the bank in every aspect of our lives with what measure you measure, it shall be measured to you again. And so you don't despair. As you diligently search the scriptures, you do so with a confidence that God blesses these means. You don't say, well, this, I'm, just, uh, I'm, just, I'm not 
very well taught. I'm ignorant. I've come to Christ too late in life. And, and you know, I'll just kind of read these devotional books. And um, I don't want deep sermons. I don't want to be pressed. I don't want to be stretched. But you see, you do want to be stressed, stretched. You do want to be in the meat, not in the, the milk of the word, as the writer of the Hebrew says. No, you want to be in the meat of the word, because the more meat you eat, the stronger you will become. The more truth you learn, the more truth will be opened unto you. Every sermon from which you profit by understanding the passage of Scripture, and I often kind of say, I really don't expect you Wednesday to remember what I said. But I do know the next time you read this passage of Scripture, you will understand it better. And every passage of Scripture you understand better opens up ten other passages of Scripture to you because Scripture interprets Scripture. And so God blesses the means. Be encouraged. When you're tired, you don't want to get up in the morning and spend time in the Word, remember, God blesses the means. When the day's been hectic and you don't want to fool with family worship, remember, God blesses the means. When you don't want to come to the preaching of the Word because you are tired, Remember, God blesses the means. You don't want to come back Sunday evening. God blesses the means. But what's remarkable is it's all by grace. It's far beyond the means. And so he says, yes, with what measure you measure, you measure it, and more given you besides. This is the treasury of God's grace. That by his grace, he uses means, but by his grace... The paltry things that we do, which really would deserve nothing, are abundantly blessed and superabundantly blessed because he loves us and he wants us to know his word. So that's why I say you do it as if it all depended upon you knowing. It all depends upon him. And then his motivation for this promise, uh, he reminds us of a stewardship. For whoever has to him more shall be given. So this is simply saying with what measure you measure, you measure it again. By God's superabundant grace, what you now have, you are going to have more. You're going to grow in your grasp of the truth of Scripture. You're going to grow in personal holiness. You're going to grow in putting to death those particular sins that plague you and, and cause you to mourn so much. And by taking what you have and God blessing it, it's like a glorious investment account that's yielding high percentage rates, even 30, 60, and 100-fold, as our Savior has said earlier. But you remember, it is a stewardship. For whoever does not have, even what he has should be taken from him. It's another saying he often uses. And it kind of circles back then to the ignorance and blindness of those who don't want to know. You've been blessed with great blessings in the Lord. Again, you children... You've been really blessed to be in the particular families that you're in, and to be able to be a part of this Christian fellowship. And the danger is to take it for granted. I think, well, after all, I'm, I'm in this Christian family, I'm in this Reformed church, and you just kind of coast through life. There's no coasting in the Christian life, you see. In physical things, if you're coasting, what direction are you going? You're going down. Spiritually, that's called declension. Declension. You coast, you decline. Even what God has shown you at this point, 
the treasures that you've had up to this point can be taken away from you. You can be given over to a hard heart and to a blind mind. And so there's this, this warning. The warning means then that we are to exercise our spiritual muscles. The old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. That is particularly true spiritually. That you must be using what you have, training yourself, as the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 5, having your senses trained to discern good and evil. And the word training there is the word for a gymnast. Now you watch a gymnast do things that physically, to us, quite awkward. But they've done it for so long, my training, it's natural. And that's the idea there, that as you will use what you've been given, if you will train yourself in what you've been given, you are going to grow then. You'll continually do what is unnatural to uh, converted sinners, to that which is more natural, having your senses trained to discern good and evil, to be able to make ready and proper decisions. And so the stewardship of, of the word of God, to be responsible hearers of the word of God. You hear that warning in Jeremiah, that because they would not hear the word of God, God destroyed them. You hear the warning in Matthew chapter 7. If you do not do what the word of God commands, your house, your life uh, will be destroyed. And so, my dear friends, depending upon the Holy Spirit, seek God, seek Christ, seek to hear him in the scriptures with all diligence and assiduousness. Now, in our confession of faith, we have a couple of larger catechism, two useful uh, questions that apply to this. 157, how is the word of God to be read? The holy scriptures are to be read with a high and reverent esteem of them, a firm persuasion that they are the very word of God and that he only can enable us to understand them, with desire to know, believe, and obey. You must approach scriptures with that. A desire to know, believe, and obey the will of God, revealing them with diligence, attention to the matter and the scope of them, with meditation, application, self-denial, and prayer. Now, I would encourage you to go back and work through that. The second one we're going to do with the Sunday school, I'll just read it now. What is required of those who hear the word preached? It's required of those who hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate, confer of it, hide it in their hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Now, this is also a mystery, isn't it? The mystery of the Lord's Supper. Everything that Christ says here about Scripture is true about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It's light. It is light that God has designed to shine into our hearts. It is a mystery. We must submit to the mystery. We must not try to rationalize every part of what we're doing here. But we must believe that God has promised us, as we come to this table, we are going to partake of Christ in the fullness of his mediatorial benefits. And our union will be strengthened and confirmed, our assurance built up, and we will be more and more enabled to die to sin and live unto righteousness. So you approach this mystery in the same way you approach the mystery of the spoken and read word. 
the mystery of the sacrament, you approach it in humility and prayer with faith. You approach it with a desire to obey God and to further your communion with him and to renew your covenant. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.